Can you imagine what it would be like to receive this letter? You're just a common person trying to live in an uncommon way. Your life has been transformed by the message of Jesus Christ. And now you're wondering, what does that mean for me, myself, my family? What does it mean for my friends, my social status, and my way of life? You're now trying to live counterculturally, counterculturally through, uh, through this message. A message that uplifts the poor and the outcast, gives power to the oppressed, and sets the slaves free. You believe in this radical way of Jesus, and yet you don't know how this fits into your life today with the dominant culture all around you. Just to give you an idea of how powerful culture can be, let me provide a definition for you. We can define culture as the sum total of the structures of systems, policies, procedures, institutions, practices, languages, technologies, products, symbols, stories, and gestures of human communities. There is so much to consider. But the question remains, can you be a follower of Christ and a citizen of the empire? the dominant culture all around you. God knew this human struggle and how difficult this was going to be for us. So he inspires John to pen revelation in apocalyptic form. Now, we need to read the Bible for all that it's worth. It's a beautiful story from beginning to end. And each book is intended to be read in a certain way. And the same is here. Just like if you, I, I would imagine that you read an article uh, about government or business different than you would, I don't know, say satire article. Or you'd read a cookbook different than a comic book. And a letter that you get received from a business or some of your junk mail, I'm sure you read differently than a love letter. And uh, out of any genre that Revelation falls into, one of the most predominant ways is written is in apocalyptic form. Now, apocalyptic literature is used to sustain the people of God with hope, especially in times of crisis. This writing style uses a lot of symbols and images to convey a message about the current empire or people in power uh, or to show the struggle of the, the people of God. By using these symbols and images, uh, they can say things about public figures that they would disagree with without being harmed or killed. And ultimately, the writer wants to convey the ultimate victory of God to all who read and hear the writings. Now, the book of Revelation can also be a prophetic book. However, biblical prophecy is not future telling. Biblical prophecy is when an individual is called by God and given a message to deliver to a people or community. This prophet comes in, they make themselves part of the community, and they deliver the message of challenge or comfort to this community. There is a moment of judgment that could happen, 
but there's always a possibility of salvation if people will turn from their ways and turn back towards God. In the book of Revelation, we will also find resistance literature. One of the primary purposes of Revelation is to remind the church, both then and now, not to give in to the demands and practices of the culture, of the empire, of the system that's in place, that's already been judged by God and is always coming to its demise. In the book of Revelation, we also find worship literature. Throughout Revelation, we see acts of worship, both liturgical worship and faithful living. The book calls God's people back to first commandment faithfulness. And finally, the book of Revelation is a pastoral letter. Revelation is a letter written and addressed specifically to seven churches in the Roman province of Asia Minor. These are real first century churches with real first century problems. Revelation is a critique of empire, but that's not its main focus. We already know the fate of the empire. It is certain. What remains uncertain is what happens to God's people? What happens to the people of the world? What happens to the churches that participate in the cult of empire? And so that brings us to our seven, seven churches today. This book, this letter of Revelation would have been brought to the seven different churches, as you can see on the map here, all the way from Ephesus to Laodicea and would follow this circuit. This open letter would have been read to all churches along this circuit. These are minor churches in major cultural centers of the Roman Empire. What's interesting is that each of these churches would have heard the commendations and condemnations of each other. And there is nothing hidden in this letter. It's all out there for everyone to see. And that's important because sin gains its power when things are hidden. This letter is exposing everything. Now, as you read through our scripture passage today, you'll notice a rhythm of it. And that rhythm is that First, there's a message that's written to the angel of the church of, and then we have our commendations, then we are taken to our condemnations. We're then followed up with a call to have ears to hear. And finally, we are given a conquering promise. When we look at the commendations, the commendations that Christ offers the churches are just as profound as the condemnations. It's easy to see that Christ commends a church for its love, steadfastness, endurance, faith, and service. Although these attributes may seem obvious, remember these are first century churches that are figuring this out as they go along. As church inspired these words to John, there's no doubt that Christ was thinking about his earthly ministry here and calling us to that same ministry. He's calling his Holy Spirit-empowered churches to serve and minister in the same way. We are both commended and challenged to minister as Christ in our communities. And then from our reading, we can also find out and know that there's no such thing as a perfect church right? I mean, as we're reading the condemnations here, 
we can see that the same things that plague the churches of the past are the same plagues that can challenge and uh, harm the church today. In this way, we are challenged to think about these attributes within our own context. How can we remain faithful to our first love, never forgetting to put God first in everything that we do? How can we hold fast to our mission, carrying out what we know God wants us to do in this community? We could go down the list looking at each one of the condemnations, but there's one thing that I want you to hear. There's one theme throughout each one of them, and that is of cultural accommodation. You see, each of these condemnations are the churches culturally accommodating and compromising on their faith. The common pitfalls that we're hearing about and that were mentioned can be tracked to either to accommodation and compromise instead of putting God first in everything the community does. So what do you think, as a community, we are to be commended for? What do you think we're to be condemned for? Do you see a similarity or is there some differences between us and that first century church? Also, what do you think our present day accommodations are? Well, to really think about this and to answer these questions, we all have to have ears to hear. Now, it's important that there must be important to have ears to hear because it's been mentioned seven times today. And what we need to also realize is that in the Bible, there's a huge correlation with being able to hear and understand a message and carrying it out with a good, joyful, obedient heart. So this is where we're coming, the ears to hear. And the ear, having ears to hear echoes throughout all of the Bible, specifically in Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Matthew, Acts, Romans, and again here in Revelation. In the famous scripture reading of Isaiah 6, we hear, and we hear God call out, who should I send? Isaiah says, send me. And God sends him with this message. Go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Probably not the message Isaiah wanted to deliver. Taken aback by this message, Isaiah asks, for how long, Lord? And I think we've been given our answer here today in Revelation, in the message to the churches. The time is now to open our ears to what God is saying. When we hear the message, we must faithfully and joyfully be obedient to it. As always, some will hear the message and some won't. Some will still hear the message and not be obedient to it. These are challenges that we deal with all the time. I think we can relate to that. I know I can. I've heard the Lord call before and been like, nope, nope, 
I'm not doing that, right? We all have had these moments that we can relate with. But God continues to encourage us and build us up. Even though at one instance we might say or think that we're too tired, too ill-equipped, or don't have the resources available uh, to help someone out or to do what God's asking us to do. But God is here to encourage us today. That even if you don't get on your first try, that your second try, you'll be ready and more equipped and ready to carry out uh, whatever, the God, whatever God is asking you to do. And God gives us these promise inside of this Isaiah text at the end. The otherwise part that you will see with your eyes, hear with your ears, understand with your hearts and be healed. And what an amazing conquering promise that we can hear the message, understand with our hearts, turn and be healed. God has sent Jesus and God's old prophet people to be witnesses to this exact message. What a conquering promise of sin, to overcome sin, death, and the grave. And as a church, Jesus doesn't want us to miss out on it or miss out on witnessing to another person towards this. What is the Spirit saying to you today? What does God have for you today to do? What is God saying to FFMC? Now, at the end of each of these sections, there is a conquering promise. And these promises can seem obscure to this passage, but there's something really interesting here. As I read it, I see a sweep of salvation history, a narrative of where we started as a people and the first people in the Garden of Eden, all the way to the ministry that he has entrusted us with and all the way to the ministry enthronement of Jesus Christ. We start in Ephesus with the promise that was related to the conquerors that of, from the Garden of Eden. And it takes us all the way through to Laodicea and the conquering promise of the enthroned and exalted Jesus Christ. The salvation narrative is implied to encourage us to be faithful witnesses of Jesus in every part of our lives so that we too may be conquerors. As Revelation unfolds, we're going to see what conquering and being conquered looks like. And we have to remember, conquering is not about winning. Let's think about it. John is isolated on an island other believers have been killed or tortured. And let's not forget, Christ has been crucified. Conquering in our context today is being a witness to the kingdom of God, a witness to the salvation given through Jesus Christ. Now, a witness is a person who gives testimony of something they've seen or experienced. This is not necessarily someone who dies for their witnessing faith though it could be. To conquer is to witness resiliently despite one's circumstances. A faithful witness can look like a lot of things. But what's in common is that a faithful witness, every single facet of their life, is immersed in the kingdom of God. Their relationships, their finances, their jobs, everything is putting God first in every decision. Does being a faithful witness seem doable? It's a struggle, absolutely. But something we must be intentional about. 
Sometimes we might think it's easier for those first century church people, right? Or we might even think that this message really isn't for us. It was just written to those people out there, right? A long time ago. But though this this message wasn't written to us, it was written for us. We are accountable as individuals to uphold the same challenges that Christ gave the churches then. And it comes to us now. Just like the first century churches, we are to put God first. We are to return to first commandment faithfulness. No other gods before us. No idols in our lives. We need to seek out those idols and destroy them. We're not to accommodate to the culture by compromising on our faith. Whenever we are about to engage in something or support something, we need to ask ourselves, are we compromising on our faith? And we are to be faithful witnesses of Christ, allowing the gospel to seep into every part of our lives today. The messages to the seven churches provides us with a window into the first century. We can see their challenges. We can see their strengths. And this is an ongoing challenge to us in the contemporary church. I hope you've heard some of the similarities today as we've gone through our passage between the first century and our church. Because God is still speaking to us today. In fact, I have something here that I wanted to bring up. This scroll. Can you imagine receiving this letter? We're just a common people trying to live in an uncommon way like the first century church. Our lives have been transformed by the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And now we're trying to figure out what does that mean for our families, our finances, our status in society, in our way of life. We are trying to live in this countercultural way that blesses and uplifts the poor and the outcasts, gives power to the oppressed, and sets the slaves free. We believe in the radical ministry of Jesus Christ and just trying to figure out how are we going to live that out with the dominant culture all around us. Look at this. What if this scroll contained a message from Jesus Christ to our church at First Free Methodist Church, Seattle? Would we have the courage to open and hear the words God pens to us? What would we be commended for? What would we be condemned for? Would we have the humility and be brave enough to make the changes that we need to make? I wonder, would we listen to the Spirit and conquer? Every church has a scroll. God is still speaking to us today. Let us pray. Lord, help us to hear the message you have for us today. May we celebrate our commendations, repent of our condemnations, and be faithful witnesses to everyone around us. May our lampstand burn brightly for the kingdom of God. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.